0: to our Hello
1: everybody, it's a Hellboy Book Club podcast I'm John
2: I'm Danielle
1: uh,
3: And I'm Aubrey Loveless
4: <laughs> I don't know who I am
3: <laughs> Oh no, who is it? Hey, it's Mark Tweedell
4: Mark Tweedell
3: right. Hey Mark, you're back on the show <laughs> Indeed
1: we love having you. This is great.
3: So, I'm just going to have to put this out there. We're a little thrown off right now. We started recording the episode about eight minutes ago. and Or did we? We didn't, actually. We so might have. Now we're starting over recording the episode. And that's why we seem a little loopy right now it's because fine. we're doing the intro over again. And the most important thing is that we have Mark Tweedell back Yay, on the show. Mark Tweedell.
2: Mark Tweedell. Yeah. In the house.
3: With Deja Vu. Yeah. <laughs> all over again. It is. Again. It is Deja Vu all over again. And. I think it's so funny we haven't been able to get you and Matt on at the same time. Unfortunately, Matt couldn't make it on this episode, but I think next time we will be able to have both of y'all on together, but we are missing Matt this week. But I'm so glad, Mark, that you could join us and fill in. It's great to have you on the show again.
4: Yes, it's fun to be here.
3: We didn't talk about this last time, but explain a little bit about what your role is and what your connection is to the Hellboy universe, in case people don't know.
4: I write for a column called Mignoliversity on Multiversity Comics, And we just talk about all things Mike Mignola. Mainly that involves doing reviews, occasionally interviews. At the moment, I'm doing a column called uh, Mignolaversity Debrief, which is a new series we're doing where we just interview creators after each issue, basically like a after game kind of interview. And it allows us to uh, talk about it, hopefully, in a little more detail than most interviews can, because... They're all about promoting an upcoming book and they can't spoil anything. So they don't get to talk about all the interesting stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's the idea of those columns. I don't know if it's working. (laughs) I'm hoping it is.
3: (laughs) No, they've been really great. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I think, I think everyone's been enjoying them. Yeah. Awesome.
4: I also used to do uh, Hell Notes, which was um, a series of um, longer pieces that would go in depth into very specific details of the Hell universe.
3: I really love those Hell Notes. Yeah, they were very well written. And I think that it's kind of like what we try to do on the show every week, pull together all the themes and all the different details. And I just explained it a little while ago, but... I I actually found that Beleth connection from Hellboy and Hell and A Cold Day in Hell through one of your Hell Notes articles that I just happened to be researching when I was getting ready to cover that story. They're a really great resource for all Hellboy fans to go back and check out.
4: That's uh, one of those things where I really hate it when it sounds like a wiki, but when I write it, it frequently ends up sounding like a wiki. So, um...
3: (laughs) I beg to
4: differ. There's one actually that I was pretty happy with. It was a, a shorter one, um, and it was about Phoenix's sister. And I liked that one just because for once it wasn't me just talking a whole bunch of crap about this is what this means and all that nonsense. <laughs> and instead it was, it was just saying, Hey, look, here's this thing. Hey, look, here's this thing. Yeah. These two things are related. Huh? and that's it like it just it sort of leaves the question hanging like i like that much more it, it just it just means that a reader can bring their own stuff to it instead of like matt likes to say oh i defer to mark's opinion on what this thing is like, no 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 that's not the point of hell notes it's not about me being an authority it's it's just about me drawing your attention to a thing and then you get to be the authority
3: yeah <laughs> Ah, <laughs> That is so funny. Yeah, Matt does like to say that. I like I like to imagine that every time he says that, you're listening to it going, no, no, that's not the point. Oh.
4: Full-body cringe every time. <sighs>
3: so again, you're definitely a big deal to me. I know you're a big deal to Matt and to the Hellboy community. So we're really lucky to have you on the show. And like Aubrey mentions at the end of every episode, you're helping us with the reading order. And that has been really amazing. And when Aubrey got here... What did you say? God damn it. (laughs) Okay, so like you guys really know how to end this on a great cliffhanger because, like,
2: when I got done reading the Garden Three today, I was like, fuck, this is where we're leaving it (laughs) off. God damn it. I wanted to go to the next story. (laughs) Oh, but Uh, I love the reading order. It's so good.
4: This was actually one of the trickier ones to place. We'll get to Uh, it. it, Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a collection of oddities this episode, but anyway.
2: Oh, I don't know. But that Garden Three was like a nice way to kind of remind us about what's going on with Abe and struggle
3: yeah
4: fucking struggle <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that more when we get to the garden three <laughs> yeah
3: yeah that'll be great i'm excited for that issue and thanks everyone who's been leaving reviews for our contest we have our giveaway going on right now you can win a five star funko hellboy and Abe set Hello. all you gotta do is go and leave us a review on social media or something like that you can do it on itunes or you can do it on facebook and send us a screenshot of the review, just so that way we know who you are if you win. We did like a review contest way back in the beginning, and it's hard to track down who you are by some username. Thank you everyone who's been leaving us a review. The contest is open till March first.
2: A couple people have already sent in reviews. They've been really nice. Thank yeah, you guys. Yeah, they've uh, been great. Yeah,
1: we're having a fun time. It's, it's all book fun. club members having fun. And yeah, they're... we're going to tell you what to read. <laughs> And then you're going to read it, and we're going to read it, and we talk about it, and then you talk about what we were talking about. You sent us a hey, damn guys. And then it's friendship. That's a book club. Back there to you, Joe.
3: Thank you so much. Yes, we are all Hellboy podcasts. We're reading all the different Hellboy comics. And like Danielle said, we engage in our listeners. So just give us a hey, you damn guys. I got a lot of love online for the Hellboy splash page that Kyle Sanchez sent to me. So thanks again, Kyle. Michael Sanders, and Chaco for the amazing art. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. So get out your trades and floppies. Get out your hardback copies. Digital print is fine. You can read along in time. We've been talking to Christian Stanfield, and he's, like, catching up. Last week he talked a little bit about the Universal Machine, and this week he's at Garden of Souls. He said, in the podcast, you guys had a small tangent discussing Japanese war crimes during World War II. Mm. And I have firsthand experience with the lingering effects of one of these set of crimes, as well as ongoing efforts to get the Japanese to issue a formal apology. And he talked about how, you know, a little bit of a content warning, but there were like these comfort women... And they were, like, kept in these military stations and all this kind of stuff. And he said if any listeners are interested in exploring the topic further, there's a comic book that explores some of this.
0: Oh, wow.
3: neo Gomanism Manifesto Special on Taiwan by Japanese author Yoshinori Kobayashi from 2001. But it definitely comes from the Japanese point of view and claims that no women were forced to serve, which is an outright lie. (laughs) You know, and so he did talk about like trying to bring people are still trying to bring this issue to light. Yeah. You know, so that way a a formal apology can be issued. I do remember us talking about that a little bit. It was referenced historically in that story. Yeah. I actually read his note
2: to you, and it was, man, that was some like rough stuff to read. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it really was. And so that's why I decided not to read the whole thing on this episode. But if anyone's interested, I can definitely send you that or we can post it in a visitor post.
1: That kind of reminds me of how uh, the the recent Watchmen series the only, like there's a I was bunch gonna of, say that. there's yeah. a bunch of classrooms now that are just now even though people have been fighting for this for so long to that they're just now starting to teach about the uh, the Tulsa massacre
0: right because of this fucking uh, TV show that yeah. because
1: of a comic you know ultimately so it's kind of one of those things that people get so dismissive of things like. Comics and movies and TV shows and whatever, like ah, it's just it's just whatever. But you know what? Something fucking big is starting to happen because of this, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And there have been, and I think people are offended and angry because they're like, we've been trying to do activism for so long, and it's like, well, this is can be a why can't it be a form of activism? Yeah. So it's quote unquote entertainment. Yeah, it's making some people some money, but it's also somewhat a form of activism, apparently, because this is happening, right? So I mean, I don't know. You your creativity. Can be a form of activism sometimes and can do good in the world and have inform more people about this thing that didn't know about it. so I think that that's cool and a good thing so that's my that's my two cents corner <laughs> back to
3: you well it it just makes me think of all the history also that we've learned doing the show. I have learned so much more about. History and about art history, just by doing the show, we go and do and research and we right. want to learn. Doing about all it. the historical so, yeah. fiction, Absolutely. I've learned a lot about historical events that I didn't really know about, yeah. and and I think that they also bring to light things. Just makes for good storytelling.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree because I mean, if you can set your story in the real world, you got to at least reference those real world yeah. events.
1: Yeah. It doesn't even have to necessarily be in the real world. Like it, it's it, it, they have an alternate timeline going on. Yeah. people are like, oh, what's this Tulsa? Is that a real thing? Oh my gosh, it is a real thing. Holy shit. Like, let me research this. Yeah. Wow, how have I never heard about this? Then you start questioning, why have I never heard about this? Because we live in a society where the system is set up to suppress this information because of racism. And so you kind of start getting interested in these topics. And you now you are kind of hooked on that and you start researching that. So it's, you know, one can feed the other. It doesn't have to be one or the other.
3: Well, and all this kind of goes along a little bit with our next comment from Hylonomus, one of our new listeners, or newer, Hylonomus was listening to Abe Sapien Regressions. Just listening to episode Ooh. 62, love that you mentioned the case of so-called recovered memories being actually implanted mm-hmm. by hypnosis. Mm-hmm. The misconception about them being accurate is so widespread and dangerous, as you said.
1: It destroys lives. Yeah, so yeah. so really we're,
3: we're spreading awareness about some things also. There you go.
1: Again, the caveat that, like, yes, I know that some people have had, you know, they've their lives have been improved because they were able to quit smoking sure, yeah. or something like that. But then, like, that is a real fucking problem, though. Like, that is bad and not good. So we just do want to make that distinction.
3: Yeah. We had some feedback on Hellboy and Hell, the three gold whips and the death card. Jason Abaddon said, so I was thinking on the three golden whips and how Hellboy seems to start and end the story in exactly the same place. And I had tinfoil hat idea number 834. (laughs) I was thinking that all of the spirits and skeletons and denizens of hell, except the demons and Sir Edward, are just Hellboy's imagination. Hellboy's own personal hell might be to be cut off from humanity. Mm. It would explain why he's in the same place he started at the end of the Three Gold Whips. Because it was a daydream of hope and possible escape from hell. It would also explain why none of the demons or Hecate seem to notice or interact with the ghosts that Hellboy sees. The classic, I've been drinking with skeletons, is a perfect example. Hecate didn't see them, and when Hellboy looks again, they're only silent corpses. They don't speak again once Hellboy knows the truth. Poor guy's been alone since the island, where he learned a lot of heavy shit and got impaled to death. It makes me question a lot of what happened later, too like Hellboy's pal with the house who also surprised Hellboy by being dead. Remember he was staying with right. some guy in the wild hunt and then that guy ended up being dead Yeah, or whatever. So he's haunted Harry Militant,
2: you're Haunted,
0: dead.
1: haunted <laughs> by his own demons. It's a fight club situation. Yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. okay. He said in this week's story, we also see some spirits just blink out when not needed. Very dreamlike. Sure. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It was
1: a story I was made to read in middle school it was a short story. There's a guy who he was about to be hung to death by a noose, but he escaped the rope broke and he ran away and he ran to a creek bed and he was describing what it was like to scramble and to freedom and he saw his home and he was home and then the rope was taught and he actually hung and all of that Ooh. 10 minutes or whatever that he had been whatever had taken place in the split second right. between about to be hung and then hung and all of this time passed but it was just one second yeah and then that was like oh shit i read this in middle school i was like what the fuck this actually like started this huge pattern of me seeking out more similar stories of like what is this what's the yeah. n- nature of time in our thoughts and shit like but- so that was kind of but that's kind of, I guess, yeah. what the similar.
3: And we've seen that before because the same idea. thing happened, like in Doctor Carp's experiment. Mm-hmm. Remember, he went in that room, and then like it all happened within a second. And yeah. then when it was over, he like just barely tripped over right. or fell or something. Isn't that what happened, Mark? Didn't it just all take place in a second?
4: Yeah, he um, somehow ends up in the past for a substantial amount of time, but uh, only was gone for. A well, if if he was even gone at all for just a moment, yeah. So we've been
1: kind of introduced the thing, to the yeah. idea that time is weird before, and yeah. then also recently it was like, oh, time is not a thing in hell. Yeah, they've talked kind about of that a lot. Weird yeah. and you know, so hey. That's not a bad theory.
2: And then on to the theory about the skeletons and the ghosts not being there or something like that. I actually kind of thought about that a little bit uh, because it reminds, every time like you see the guys are like normal, but then they kind of sort of start fading into skeletons as they become less useful. Yeah. And Mm. it made me think of stuff like the uh, drinking with skeletons and, uh, you know, Harry Melchon and all that stuff. That's really uh, cool. Cool that
1: you brought that up. Jason Avedon, (laughs) book club member. You got it. (laughs) Thanks for bringing that up. That's the
3: theory yeah <laughs> and Nathaniel Green he also had a good theory I liked he talked about the two wholesome chaps that were making the map to hell oh, yeah? oh, and, they, yeah. and they were saying that hell was a bowl and so he said maybe the bottom half of the sphere is a bowl but we're unaware of the upper hemisphere mm. maybe that's the celestial model and that's the heaven as the northern sure. you know yeah. but we're not seeing that part of it which right. was which is kind of interesting yeah. I like that idea and we've also seen like that hollow earth idea. Yeah. In that story, there was like a model that had like a sun in the middle, yeah. and yeah, yeah, we've seen and that.
1: that bubble is part of an atom, and that atom is in the body <laughs> of a little bird, and that bird is in a big flock in a tree, and that tree
0: okay, is it. the universe. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. And the universe is in my hand,
0: and the
1: universe <laughs> is in my eyeball. No, no, and then you no. zoom out further. No, stop.
3: Don't do it anymore. <sighs> We had some feedback on Hellboy and Hell, the trials of Doctor Hoffman and Hounds of Pluto from last week. Ryan Yule said The New World Tree is growing out of the church, Saint Martin in the Fields in Trafalgar Square, London. It's the same location where they showed the lilies growing after Hellboy died on the final page of the Fury. That's that building. Remember we saw the world yeah. the new world tree taking it over, so thank you for pointing out that detail. And Ryan Yule he also posted the pencils of that incredible cover for issue seven, where Hellboy is like a skeleton on the inside. Remember that one we were talking about? He's a what? Yeah. He's a what? He's a skeleton.
2: <laughs> Ryan posted a lot of cool artists last yeah. week. Yeah. Well, he, oh was saying, God,
3: yes. he, he was saying it. Sadly, it was not for sale at the time. I'm sure he would have bought it if it had been. Oh, I'm pretty sure um, he but would have. D- <laughs> but he did take a picture of it, and he posted it in the thread, so thank you for posting that. He also mentioned, it's not very common that Mignola has a word bubble on the cover i can't think of another one off the top of my head uh-huh. yeah in that uh second issue there was that word bubble right. yeah
1: ryan Yule, book club member. yeah
3: and ryan like uh aubrey said ryan posted some awesome art this week um he has a couple pages from these stories yeah, yeah. um he has that page where hellboy is standing on top of that coffin and he kind of looks like the magician in the snake oh, remember geez. he's got
2: right-handed doom boom 37 yeah
3: he's got that one and i want to say that there was another page that he posted yeah, he's got an incredible collection. I think you can check that out. we got to get Ryan to post his, the link to his collection for us to put right. on our Facebook page. I'll ask him if we can do that this week. Clayton Showfield at Sir Edward Gray on Twitter said, A word balloon on a Hellboy cover. Now, that's really something. I'm such a fan of older comics that quite often had them. Yeah, those old comics yeah. didn't have a lot of word bubbles.
2: Just go and look at all those like old classic Superman yeah. comics.
3: And... Jerry Turnbull mentioned- Jerry Turnbull. So a club member? Those two Skellington doctors, remember yeah. that yeah. W- they booked it when shit hit the fan? They were named Erkman and Chatrian. Oh, okay. They they are real life writers of ghost stories. One of their tales is called The Wild Huntsman. Oh, wow.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's so, super cool. And we
3: know Mignola's a fan of ghosts, uh, yeah. ghost stories and all that and stuff. And The Wild Hunt. Yeah. And Jerry Turnbull also mentioned, so remember when they showed that flashback to Queen Mab and she said, Anung Unrama, Arush Unrama, Destroyer of Worlds, Creator of Worlds. Mm-hmm. He says, that's Hellboy's full name. Oh, yes. We're only ever
1: using the first part oh. of that.
4: Yeah. God, I love that. That's like, awesome. I remember, like, the whole creator of worlds thing. It was just so satisfying to get that.
1: Super but satisfying, was, yeah.
4: Awesome.
3: Yeah, because you're right, Daniel. You know, so we only focus on the first part of it, and everyone thinks that he's the destroyer of
4: everyone worlds. Everyone
1: stops there. Everyone just calls him that, and right. he never mm. learned, Like, But that's a whole other thing to it. There's a whole other part, you know? You can't yeah, have what, one This is what I mean anything. about,
4: like, you know, these people that show up, um, you know, like Rasputin and everything, and they say all this stuff, yeah. and, and it's true. But it's a partial truth. Like he was right, you know. Like Hellboy's gonna destroy the world. That's his, that's his thing that he keeps on saying. Yeah, they they're just focusing talk. on that part. Yeah. Well, I don't even think he knows about that other part. Like, you know, it's it's oh. always that element of like um, they're seeing they've got a fragmented view and they're not okay. seeing the full picture.
1: Wow. Or do they think I'll be in control of whatever is created? afterwards let me manipulate Mm. this
2: guy well i mean they all seem to think that they're going to be have some sort of power yeah it's a manipulation thing for them
1: but what they don't understand is that it's he's it's just a force of fucking nature it's out of their control the creator of worlds you really think you could fucking like well i
2: mean wasn't that rasputin thing he wanted to like Bring down the odds to had to destroy the world, and then rebirth the world. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And whatever, and he would be like the ruler because uh not that what he told El- Elsa? But when he put her in the um, Iron
0: Maiden. it's like
1: people who stay out in the sun too fucking yeah. long, and you're like, hey, you're gonna get sunburned. They're like, no, I'll be fine. It's like you think you're more powerful than the fucking sun. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What, are you kidding?
4: All these people that want to elevate themselves to the level of gods.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's one of those, it's like you said, you know, they might not have even known about it. So having this reveal, obviously, it's been revealed to the reader. So, yeah, it could be revealed to all these little mini bosses and stuff, too. But Creative World, Astro World, yes, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yes, of course it does. One and zero, black and white, up and down, beginning and end, and beginning again. I mean, there's, you know, it's yin and yang, it's the whole thing. So. I love that. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. That's great. We've been that talking was a great about that theme. We didn't talk about, yeah, but we talk about the theme so much. Life and it death. It came up a lot. It came up a lot last week. I the think, continuous too, yeah. cycle of that, and I think that that's really that's really incredible how it's been brought to the ultimate stage. Yeah. Of Hellboy, oh he's destroyer of worlds. Oh, creator of worlds as well. Though. Yeah. You can't leave mm-hmm. that part out. That's always been the ultimate platform we've been trying to figure out. And I always thought, oh, the reveal can't possibly be that good, as good as the build up guess what yes it fucking is this is an incredible story <laughs> it's amazing art it's an amazing story strap the fuck in yeah, yeah. i'm really impressed it's seriously great, yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're getting into some good stuff Yeah, i'm having a great fucking time
3: <laughs> drew campbell said some connections references that jumped out at me in the last episode when you guys were discussing the three gold whips you mentioned the blood dripping off hellboy's hand when he shows it to the grandmother and i think danielle proposed the idea that his hand is perpetually bloody from that act the first thing that came to mind was Macbeth and the scene oh. where he talks about how the blood on his hands can never be washed away oh, man. and could turn the sea red. And now we get the witch's song from Macbeth in the story. Does it mean something? Probably just that Mignola digs Shakespeare. Well, he's talking, about, he's talking about, yeah. you know, pretty awesome.
1: England is apparently playing a very prominent role in the story. So yeah. I this makes perfect sense that he would kind of have this, maybe it was just kicking around in the back of his mind. Yeah. Maybe he... Had it right in the forefront the whole time. Oh, I'm gonna do a Macbeth thing, but you know, either way, it works. Yeah, it's whatever. Great. Yeah, it's fine.
3: And Jerry Turnbull had said that we should look up Capelius and Hoffman. Oh, Those okay. were the two doctors, and so I was gonna do that, but then I didn't have to because Drew Campbell did it for Drew me. Campbell. So thank you, Book Drew. <laughs> he said Capelius is a character from the short story *Der Sandman*, which was written by E.T.A. Hoffman.
0: Okay. I can't oh. see
3: any connection between them and the characters in Hellboy other than the names. Although Capelius is involved in the creation of a lifelike automaton that the main character thinks is a real person and falls in love with. Well. It's not really the same as the golem like in Mignola's story, but it's the closest connection I can see. I mean, it's
0: pretty close.
3: Yeah. Like, that's... That's pretty good. Yeah. He creates an automaton. Yeah, this mean, guy creates a golem. Sure. Yeah. He also mentioned that golden apples appear in a number of mythologies. Remember the golden yeah. fruits yeah. that were in the New Garden of Eden or whatever? The New Garden or right. whatever? In Greek myth, the golden apple trees are tended by the hesperides who are nymphs of the evening and the golden light of sunsets one of hercules labors was to steal the golden apples one of the golden apples also figured into the mythological basis for the trojan war in norse myth the goddess Idunn is the keeper of the golden apples that restore youth to the gods when they get old and they are also associated with fertility there is a Nor- norse poem that references the apples of hell which is thought to imply that the apples are the food of the dead. In Irish myth, it was believed that some kind of passport was necessary to enter the other world before death, and the passport was usually a silver branch with golden apples.
1: That's super cool. All of that is super cool. Yeah, there's a bunch of different
3: references to it. There
1: was, uh, I think, it was either golden or silver apples. I can't remember in um the some one of the narnia books the one of this there's oh, so many there's like seven of them
3: yeah, yeah i read i used to read those books over and over again yeah and we had there, also we, we had also mentioned that they might be oranges at one point he says there is also a greek myth about oranges oh, okay
2: because i actually read that comment i think what he was trying to say was that uh, the golden apple was really an orange but they didn't know what an orange was
3: oh okay uh,
0: and,
4: yeah. it's a, yeah.
1: they're like this is an apple but it's not an apple I- it's golden and w- different and weird.
0: Yeah,
4: not <laughs> so an be- apple. I seem to vaguely recall um, reading something once about like how um, there's these famous mythological apples that keep on showing up again and again in different mythologies around the world, and they're not apples. Like it's it's yeah. just a, an English translation thing where like oh. the word is uh, the in the original languages was a nondescript fruit. It's just mm, a fucking delicious yeah. orange. Yeah, yeah, People yeah. are just psyched about oranges. They're just pumped. <laughs> Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, because I swear I'm I'm like I've got the only a very vague recollection of that.
2: Well, I mean, that's definitely true about the um the fruit from uh, the Garden of Eden. Everybody calls it an apple, but um it's definitely a nondescript fruit.
3: Right. Sure. Well, we had another comment about that. Adam at I Break stuff on Twitter said I think those apples are done apples from Norse mythology. I think Drew Campbell mentioned that oh, also. Oh, Norse mythology, yeah, yeah. Which are used to grant the gods immortality. Cool. I mean, they aren't growing on the world tree itself, but on a smaller tree nearby, which holds true to the mythology itself. Uh, yeah. Is Alice the Tree's guardian. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I thought that was some good feedback, So, yeah, we've too. got the
1: world tree, which obviously super Norse, and that's super interesting. I yeah, like that a lot. I like
3: and that. I don't know. I read that when I
2: read that apple comment earlier with the oranges, like earlier this week I started thinking, did some guy like back in the day think it was an apple and then uh, try to eat it like an apple? Oh no. <laughs> oh man. He was like, this is terrible. We Ugh. should not
1: eat these. And then someone's like, just, no, no, just, just peel this <laughs> bit off. It's and then the inside's good.
2: Yeah, it's like the natives were like, No, dude, you're eating it I, all exactly Engli- Englishman.
1: <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever population was originally there. It's just like you guys are fucking idiots, man. Yes.
3: You guys are wild. Yeah, you guys
1: are. Uh, you guys are here to party. Jeez, <laughs> God.
3: Ross Radke said, "I love the way." Can you
1: imagine? Sorry, a man. I've just got this image in my head of a man just hauling off and biting into an orange. Sorry, go. Uh, it, go ahead. It, it bothered me for like a I'm couple sorry, of hours.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> There's a whole thing about a prime minister of Australia eating a raw onion and you need to look it up. Sometime. Oh man,
1: <laughs> are you for real? Wait, okay. What is the story on this? What's this? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to Google that later. Okay, okay. Yeah. we'll, All we'll right. come
3: back to that. All right. Ross Radke said, I love Ross the Ross w- Radke!
2: <laughs> Book club member.
3: <laughs> I, love- <laughs> I love the way Dave Stewart handles white in hell. Yes. There's always a touch of color, like white painted over another color or on a canvas. You can feel the fog instead of just light. Uh-huh. When you first mentioned the golem, I yelled halibut and startled my dog. Oh, no. <laughs> this is one of my favorite moments in the entire series. This Gollum needs its own story in a winter special or something. And I think that you're a big fan of that panel yeah. also, right, Mark?
4: Mm. Oh, yeah, very much so. There's this thing where, like, um, people uh, often will say that uh, Hellboy is too weird to go mainstream. And the example they often use is that, uh, you know, the moment when he's like, wait, it's a monkey. He's got a gun. A you know, guy, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and halibut. For me, that moment, like the, the if you want to pick a weird moment, it's the Halibut shouting Gollum. That's great. Well, Gollum shouting Halibut, but anyway. Uh,
3: that's a great panel, yeah. Oh, man. He also said... You're not reading comics right unless you startle
1: your dog somewhere <laughs> you. Sweet baby.
3: He also said, Mignola's hell reminds me a bit of C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce in which a bunch of people travel from an endless dreary city purgatory to the foothills of heaven hmm. where they are like ghosts because heaven is more solid than them lewis's theology imagines hell as a place where humans being cast judgment on themselves rejecting salvation for petty reasons where there is always an opportunity to ascend to heaven but few take it because of the initial shock and discomfort of the glory oh wow i like the poetic nature of the fallen priest devoting his afterlife to trying to save people in hell the symbolism of souls becoming snakes or birds is powerful but i also like that not all snakes are evil no
1: snakes are super good
3: i think that is the magician's friend making a cameo i appreciate mignola weaving some theology into the story i don't think he's trying to be literal about any of this but the idea that even in hell people can have a purpose and get a second chance is a nice one
1: yeah, it just takes you a little bit longer, maybe.
3: Yeah. So, Mark Tweedell said, I'm going to talk for you, Mark. <laughs> Mark Tweedell, book club member.
4: <laughs> Actually, I could just look them up quickly on um, Twitter. Oh, I was going to say, you're going to read I just...
1: Mark Tweedell's comment, but we have Mark Tweedell yeah, here. I, no, I
4: can...
3: no, I'm reading it. I could
2: just oh, read them I'm myself. It. Uh, this is what I do. Wait, you should find it, and then you read John's <laughs> comments, and then John will read your
1: comments. <laughs> this is, wait, this is getting out of hand.
3: Let me talk about this really quick because you had some great feedback on, on Rise of the Black Flame. You said that you thought Jamie Lee Curtis would make a good Sarah Jewel. What do you oh, think about that?
1: You know what? Yeah, true.
3: <laughs> Especially after Knives thing.
4: Out. I yeah. love Jamie Lee
1: Curtis. I mean, obviously, she would be amazing. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: yeah. That was a good pick, Mark. Super great. good. I just like her fire,
4: you know? She's
3: awesome. <laughs> he said, I have a theory about the tree, or rather, world trees in general, mm. as we see This is a new world tree growing out of the ruins of the world that's passing. So I started to wonder about Yggdrasil, the previous world tree. Had it always been the world tree, or had it too grown out of the ruins of a previous world? Did Yggdrasil replace a world tree that had existed before? My theory is that Yggdrasil is a tree from the garden where King Thoth kept his secret watchers. When Hyperborean fell, Thoth's palace drifted away from our world and became the Elsewhere Realm just as England drifted away from our world to become a realm apart. I assume the first world tree, the one that preceded Yggdrasil, would have grown out of a numb spilled blood when he was killed by the Watchers. I mentioned this theory to Mignola once, but the only reply he gave me was cryptic. Maybe.
1: Yes. I think it's Yggdrasil's all the way down. Yeah. It's, it's a fractal reality, as I will, I will go no, down thinking.
3: saying this
4: yeah i figured that would be like a world tree free trace of man yeah. yeah yeah
3: that is so cool i really like that um i really like that theory and i think it makes perfect sense with thoth had that garden where those three watchers were hiding you know yeah, where he kept right. them hidden that, that is so great to pull that theory together i really enjoy thinking about that i think nathaniel also put, commented on that on twitter um he really enjoyed that theory good well, job there man yeah. that's really awesome yeah that's that's super a- good That's a nice theory.
1: I I like to think about, I I feel like that fits in perfectly with when we talk about, like, Infinity, and then everything that kind of happens in between.
0: Yeah. It's
1: just sort of, you know, that's where the stories come from, (laughs) while Infinity's going on.
2: It's like the idea of, like, you know, the well trees and going back forever. It's just Idris all the way down. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just that's just absolutely you know, it's, it's like a it's comforting it's like the cycle of life just keeps yeah you know churning and for sure
3: on. right it and, does you know we've talked about hope a lot in hell and even while this tree is dying or whatever she says that the root hell is gnawing away at the roots we know that there's another, another tree I mean, though there's be so another hey, one. yeah you know yeah.
1: there you go
4: i think it, it also says a little bit about the world to come when you know when the tree that is the world tree doesn't have its roots tied to hell anymore
1: yeah absolutely
3: well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about I'll it because we're, we're getting into the garden. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about oh, it a yeah, little we bit are. more.
4: Oh, sorry. I completely forgot to mention something. Oh, as when you were talking about the, the names of people in the feedback. It was just a little thing. It's uh, It was interesting that uh, in those two stories, we're introduced to a third Dr. Hoffman. I don't know what it is about that name, but Mike Mignola likes introducing Dr. Hoffman's. Oh, where where have we seen... Oh, you're right. I didn't even
3: think about that. Where have we seen other Dr. Hoffman's? So
4: there's a Dr. Hoffman um, in the BPRD. He runs the psychic division. And there's another one also in the BPRD called Dr. Hoffman, who is potentially his son or a relative or something because he's significantly younger. And there's kind of... An iffy thing where, like, uh, at one point, the Hellboy role-playing game uh, made a point of mentioning that Dr. Hoffman, the one who runs the psychic division, was not a psychic himself. But the younger Dr. Hoffman clearly is psychic. So there's a whole thing of, like, we don't know how canon that is. It's kind of falling into very, very iffy territory. But there's potentially two Dr. Hoffmans there, and now we're introduced to a third
3: wow okay yeah wow. that is interesting great a great bit of feedback there but we are going to go on to our book club episode for the week this week we're talking about a bunch of different short stories that we just haven't really got to and this is kind of good place to put them right before we get into some you know real heavy shit that is going to be happening soon so i really enjoyed the stories this week i thought this was a great little lineup that you put together for us mark
4: yes thanks
3: and the first story that we're going to talk about is How Kashi Became Deathless. This is a short story published in January of 2009 as a backup story to Hellboy the Wild Hunt number 2. Thank you for everyone who chimed in giving me that information and yeah and I also looked it up on the Hellboy wiki. That's a great resource for finding out, you know, where all the stories are or in which omnibus they fall in and all that stuff. And it was also collected in the Hellboy Weird Tales hardcover omnibus in November 2014. <laughs> Story by Mignola. Art by Guy, Guy Davis. Guy Davis is back yeah. yeah. I was so excited to see Guy Davis. I was stoked. <laughs> yeah, you actually said you were like, you were like, wait. Who is I was the, like, "Oh
1: yes, what this, is, this? Yeah, is this guy <laughs> Davis!" I got so excited when yeah. I started reading it. I was, I was really excited about
3: it. Yeah, it's great to have some guy Davis back. It's we haven't guy seen guy. his art in what seems like forever, uh, so it's so fantastic. nice to see it. It's amazing. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. This story we open on an old man. He sits at a desk and writes in this book. Yes. On the subject of the legends and strange beliefs of the peasants of our mother Russia regarding sorcerers diviners werewolves and other men who make packs with the devil very
1: much my shit right off the bat <laughs> i'm so excited for this
3: regarding kashi most often called kashi the devil though some maintain that he did some little good in his time his evil deeds weigh heavy against him and his evil name is more than justified one story only have i discovered regarding kashi the man that being how kashi became deathless
0: yes
1: give it to me the content
3: yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about this Guy Davis art, too, because um, I just really like, you know, the desk that he's sitting at, and that, I was trying to look at what this thing is behind him. They don't show it again, but he's got this little kind of cabinet behind it's him. It's like
1: an altar. It's like a little tabernacle. Yeah,
3: I was wondering what is in there. It's not really clear, but I just like uh, the mood setting in the, of this guy. We're going to come back to him throughout Super these little good. stories. He tells Kashi's history. He was a soldier and a good one. And he was fair. He offered his enemies mercy. Surrender and I'll see you fairly dealt with, he says, as he slices into one of these enemies. He's like killing this one guy, but then he's telling everyone else, surrender and I'll see that you're fairly dealt with. Anyway, well, I love that, that
2: panel. That guy just didn't surrender. I actually,
1: I actually want to take it back because uh, we skipped over something that kind of made me chuckle. I don't know why. It says... As I have not heard otherwise, it should be assumed that Kashi was born, lived, was a child, and came of an age as men do. And it's kind of like, he's assuming kind of a lot there, because right. in this <laughs> in this
3: universe, it right, could have been yeah. very fucking different. He could have been created like a golem yeah, I mean, or you something. I fucking know.
1: So anyway, I just thought that was kind of, it was amusing yeah, to me. Yeah, so. no, yeah. But yeah, and then, you know, you've got your... Guy Davis makes everything so simple for us. His storytelling is it's very effective. Yeah. I just like you know, these pets. like you said, this this story is being told so well. The writing is fantastic. I love the turns of phrase that I'm reading mm-hmm. this whole story through. it's It's so clever and 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 really beautiful, but like the art could also stand alone. yeah, so that's something that I always really admire. anyway, continuing on
3: and the other captains, they didn't like how Kashi, was, like, merciful towards his enemies.
1: I like how they all get little different helmets there.
3: Yeah, I was trying to research what kind of helmets these were. I couldn't really find anything definitive. I, I think there's some sort of, like, medieval era. Do you know what, what time period this is supposed to be, Mark?
4: Uh, I don't know exactly, but there was a whole thing about when they were doing darkness calls. Mignola was, like, um, visiting the... Oh, what's the museum in New York? I can't think of its name. Met? Um, yeah, yeah, the man. Yeah, uh, and like he he go there, and there's like this hall of all the uh, armor there, and I've went there and, and seen it, and like yeah, oh, made wow. totally from that. Oh, oh yeah, cool. I want
3: to I want to say that in the library edition sketchbook, there's a lot of sketches of those different helmets and stuff like oh, that. Nice. So they're probably it's probably the same time period. That's cool. Yeah, and so one night, all these other captains lured Kashi to a lonely place and beat him almost to death. But that night, there was a dragon in the woods. What's this? And so they say there's a dragon in the woods, but he looks like a man, which is interesting. I really like that. Like, you expect it when I read it, and it's story. We're made
1: to assume he's a dragon. I'm like, cool, I'm on board. He's a dragon. That's fine.
3: But it's just this man. He's got, like, a blue face. And then he's got these, like... Things growing out of the side of his face, and I think we've seen that before too, right? In some stories, mustache
1: tendrils like a catfish mustache. Yeah,
3: yeah. The, The Hollow Earth guy had that. Sure. Yeah, the King of Fear. And he says, Man, you are going to die unless I heal you with my magic. Will you promise to be my servant for nine years if I save your life? yes kashi whispers that's how
1: you get interesting situations
2: do you think that he just came up with that number right off the top of his head he's like okay i'll save this guy several for nine years
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know i guess it's like a magic thing i don't know
3: so the dragon took him to his castle beyond the thrice nine lands in the thrice 10th kingdom yes. and healed him and kashi served his word and became his servant drawing water chopping wood tending fires and caring for the dragon's horses. And many strange things he saw there, for the dragon consorted with all manner of ghosts, devils, imps, and witches. Sounds like a party. But Kashi was careful and never too curious. He said little and tended to his work.
1: I like his little grim determination face
3: yeah and i love this page this page is fantastic all the different guy davis monsters and all the different like monster faces i just love this i love this little like guy that's walking past kashi this little short guy yeah yeah, they're just chilling (laughs) they're just like walking around (laughs) and everything their day and the dragon see now he looks like a dragon where he looked like a man in the woods now he's transformed into something and he's holding like this is this like a it's scepter a, or a goblet? It's a
1: goblet full of little imps.
3: Yeah, little that's monsters are in there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I really It's love a goblin that.
1: goblet. I, I, <laughs> goblin I <love> it. goblet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But we you need immediately to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah,
1: we immediately know it's this guy. Yeah, which I love about this. Yeah, like, that scene, that's
3: awesome.
1: You know what I mean? Where um, there's no confusion about that.
4: Have you ever read the Yeah.
3: I started reading it. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Mark. So I found the first five issues for very cheap on eBay. And I was really enticed to buy it also because there's one of them is a Mignola cover. And I haven't been able to find Ah, that that back issue cover. So I have the first five issues. I haven't finished reading it, but I read like the first two. And it was really great. Yeah, I'm Ah. excited. I'm excited to get into it.
4: When you get to, I think, uh, issue four um, with Hell... This is very reminiscent of that. You know, like, I mean, it's a tamed down version of it because he goes so much further in that. But, you know, the idea of just this place populated with, you know, these weird creatures, that's so very much uh, Davis's jam.
3: Yeah. And so what we're talking about here is a Guy Davis series called The Marquis. It's it's written and drawn by Guy Davis. It's a great series. I highly recommend it, even though I haven't finished reading all of it. Mm.
4: Uh, yeah, if you get the trade, um, it, the colours were revised by uh, Dave Stewart. What?
3: Okay, i got to go get the trade now. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Okay, I'm yeah, glad you but, mentioned like, that. I think
4: um, Guy Davis's approach when they did the trade introduced some oranges and yellows into it and just brought it to life in a different way.
3: Nice. nice. I'm definitely going to track that down. So, at the end of the nine years... The dragon congratulates Kashi, telling him he was going to eat him if he was too curious, but now he loves him like a son. And the dragon offers to teach Kashi magic and live there forever. But Kashi wanted to live like a man, so the dragon was sad, but he gave him this sweet parting gift, a magic gold shirt that would protect Kashi from all harm. Hmm. Kind of similar to Abe's weird mustard sweater. Oh,
1: man.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, I don't think
2: A's mustard spider will protect him from harm. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, Kashi went back into the world and became a soldier again. And word of him soon spread.
2: Like I say, I like this dragon. He seems like a really cool dude.
3: Yeah, he's really nice <laughs> he's <chill>. and reasonable. <laughs> yeah. a- again, like, we've talked about this a lot, how even though they're like supposedly evil characters or the dragon and all his demons and monster friends, like, they're all really nice and... They like help you out and stuff, and
2: well, off. and then Kashi also, st- you know, he said he said you know he mind his own business. So he's like, if you had, not I would have eaten you, but right, you were cool. <laughs> now I, I like you like a son, but um I just like you know he didn't have to stop and pick him up in the woods. Yeah, you know? he didn't
3: have to do any of that. You're right. Yeah.
1: He's a cool he guy. Know? Yeah, seems like a pretty cool dude. I'd hang out with him. He's a homie.
3: <laughs> and so back in life, Kashi was a great warrior again and merciful like before and this top panel is incredible we just see like all the enemies that he's killed behind him and then there's this one guy like mercy i really love that panel it's amazing and so this king was like you're so awesome kashi come marry my daughter and they did i've lived a strange life but now finally i am happy we see kashi saying on their wedding day but the wife was not happy she didn't like being married to a common soldier and we see her trying to recruit some guys to kill Kashi. But I mean, s- she
1: sucks for doing that. But at the same time, it's like, it seems like she had absolutely no say in who she was marrying. Oh, right. The which King is kind He's like, it. like, you're yeah. going to marry this guy. And she's just like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> yeah. not yeah, cool.
4: Yeah, it's a total so, dick move.
1: Yeah, it's a dick move to do that. To force somebody to, like, marry another person. That's not cool. But right. then also, like, you shouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's just what you did back then. That's what you... I, you well, so no, you're like, no, 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 oh, no, no, I don't no, no. like this person.
3: I'm going to kill him. Yeah. You get, my, <laughs> get my lover to kill him. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, you er, you. know, you, hmm. well, she's try- I guess she's like, this guy sucks. I don't want to marry him. But it also seems like, I don't know. She didn't have a choice, but then she's trying to kill... I don't know why she's trying to kill yeah. him.
2: Because she-, she didn't want to be married to him.
3: Because she's like, me, yeah. married to a soldier? What am I, a princess? Or sure. A right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah.
1: I don't know. So it's kind of, yeah.
3: Yeah, but the guy says he's unkillable. But the princess had learned Kashi's secret, and one night she stole his magic shirt.
1: She wants to marry this other guy. Yeah, I guess she's not allowed Fancy to. Fancy Yeah, I guess she's not allowed to be like, "Hey, Dad, I'd rather marry this dude instead." Yeah. Hey, you know, Kashi, you're all right, but I really don't want to marry you. I want to marry this guy. I don't know. I guess she couldn't do that or something. Not back then.
2: Well, it was probably also something to do with like the king is like, you know, well, if I let him marry my daughter, he won't go against me.
1: Oh yeah. And
3: he'll like and we know that he's unkillable, so he'll right. probably also defend their lands sure. if something happens. So.
4: To yeah, totally lands. a political move. Yeah. Huh. Also though, it is worth noting that as far as Koshki knows, she's happy about That's the what marriage. I'm saying She he, pretended he to that. be super you know, pumped
1: about it. She pretended she was like, Oh, this is yeah, great Yeah, I mean like
4: in her position, did she really have any other option? I don't know. Yes,
1: I, I don't know, yeah. He doesn't know though. He has no idea. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird.
4: And so
3: we see he's asleep. And these axe-wielding goons come in. What? He wakes up and he just sees the axe coming for him. What? Walk. There's this black panel with the red letters. And that's it. And so that was in the back of Hellboy uh, Hellboy the Wild Hunt. So you would read it and then you would get to this little story and then it would end there. Oh, and interesting. Then, or, Mark, you said Koshki. Is that how you say it? Koshki?
4: Um, that's the way uh, Mike Mignola kept on saying it in an interview. I had no idea what he was talking about it be- uh, because, uh, like... I always heard it in my head as "koshay," and so I was like totally baffled as to what he was talking about. It took a while. But anyway.
3: Oh, so you were saying "koshay," but he was saying Kosh oh, "koshki,"
4: "koshki." Yeah, okay, "koshki." Okay. Yeah, which I'm trying to make myself say. You know? We're okay, learning. Yeah, we're yeah. learning. We're trying. We're trying. Oh, man. We <laughs> so, haven't been even. Saying honestly, anything like though. whenever you talk to someone, they have a different thing. Like Katie O'Brien, the editor. There's a video with her talking about, it, and she's like. We still don't know how it's pronounced. Oh, oh okay. Oh. There
3: you go. <laughs> yeah, because I heard um, somebody talking about this character on a different podcast and they said Kashi. And I think I looked it up online and it said Kashi also. So that's what I've been saying. But I yeah, maybe it is Kashki.
4: I think it's one of those things where it's so, like uh, the stories are so old at this point. No one can definitively say how it's said anymore. Like dialects have just shifted so much in that time. But anyway.
3: Yeah. Give us a hey, you damn guys, and tell us whether it's Kashi or Koshki. Or just tell us how you pronounce it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So this story was in the back of Hellboy the Wild Hunt number two in February 2009. So after they murder Koshki, they put him in these sacks, and they drag his remains out into the woods. And this guy, Davis gore. Like, there's not even really any gore, but it's it's still like, though. It's still really unsettling. I miss that Guy Davis Gore. I oh, really, yeah. I really love that. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I love those scenes in BPRD that he did.
2: Well, and in the way he drew the two goons and their face when they got the warts on their nose and yeah. all that. And I'm just like, man, that's just some like nice details. Yeah, the
3: these trollish looking guys. Yeah, and so they hear someone say, "I smell familiar blood." And the dragon emerges, right? But he's in his dragon form. Well, he says, what's here? Oh, yeah. Which I think
1: is such a super interesting turn of phrase. Yeah. When I first came, ac- <laughs> when I first read this and I came across this page, I was like, oh, that's cute. What's here? I yeah. love that.
3: And then so the two trollish guys run off. And I love the pacing of this as he, like, sniffs the sacks, And then he goes, rah! And, then, so, and it's yeah. all red behind him. Though years had passed, the dragon still thought of Kashi like a son. So he can tell that that that's him that's been killed. And I just really love that pacing on that page. It's really nice. So the dragon took those bloody sacks back to his castle beyond the thrice nine lands in the thrice 10th kingdom. We see orange lightning over a red sky, kind of like we did last week in Hellboy in Hell, which I thought Mm -hmm. was interesting parallel. And the dragon performs his magic. And so I don't know how to describe this. It's like a giant glass ball or a glass sphere, and it's over a flame, and inside the sphere, you can see that all of Kashi's decapitated see, parts are all chopped up. Parts are in there.
1: I didn't read that as a as a glass sphere. I read that as just like a
3: just a ball of
1: magic and yeah,
3: smoke, and that's, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, swirling
1: cloud of. But it happens to be spherical because that's the nature of the magic he's doing.
2: Right. Well, that's what I thought too. But now I'm looking at the top of it. Oh, it there's a the top of, to it. It kind of looks like that's like a
3: rim. Yeah, it's oh, you're like
1: right. I didn't even see oh, that. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. It is,
3: it, yeah. So
1: it is, it's, it, it is a container, like a glass container. Thank you for pointing that out. That's super cool. It's like a giant cauldron.
3: Yeah. And- it's like
1: a it's a see-through cauldron.
3: Dude.
1: <laughs> the size of a fucking room. That is dope as hell.
3: And there's like these little skeleton-looking dudes like, fanning the, the flames the bellows and all here yeah and... i really like all that it's such it's such intricate work on this page there are so many details i'm sure there's more easter eggs that we're missing in here
2: and you notice how the dragon is shifted back into his humanoid form yeah
3: sure
1: yeah that's his wizard form
3: and we also see the russian version of death that we saw in hellboy the wild hunt and the storm and the fury he says think what you are doing to the dragon and the dragon just keeps on He's saying that, like, kind of weird Hyperborean language. As you will, I pray you do not have cause to regret it, the Russian version of death says. Ah, And we see Kashi, yeah, and he's like, now he's got, like, the blank eyes. This is, like, the version that we've been introduced to
4: in Darkness Calls.
1: Kashi, the weirdo guy.
3: The deathless,
1: yeah. yeah.
4: Deathless. See, I, I like this. It's because, you know, like, Koshki has no say in what's being done to him. The, uh, you could make an argument of, is that even Koshki anymore? Because it's a husk, it doesn't have a soul. Right. You know, like, is the soul really him? And once you've oh, taken that out, yeah. you know, right. it's just this nightmare creature that's left. Right.
1: There was something I saw, somebody said, oh, I can't even remember who it was or where it was, uh, said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul, you have a body. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I like to think about that sometimes.
2: Whoa, I've never actually heard of yeah. like that.
1: Or a mind, I, I if you I prefer to think of, think of that. that.
2: With, but what, I mean, whatever.
4: I mean, yeah,
1: mind or soul or whatever it is. Yeah. Like you, you know.
4: That's pretty much the way I think of uh, Kashki, where it's like, you know, I think of him as um, the, or the version that he is now is a husk that has a memory of being a man. Sure. Oh, ah, yeah, okay.
1: Absolutely. I like this page now. <laughs> it starts off. Kashki, here is your soul. What do Uh you mean? What are you talking about? (laughs) What are you talking about, guy? Wait, what? That's so good. The dialogue in this is so good.
3: Oh, yeah. Your heart beats as it did before. Your lungs draw breath as they did before. All your bones and joints are as before. But this one thing I have kept separate, the dragon says. I have no more magic shirts to give. So we will hide this thing. So long as it is safe, no harm can ever be done to you. And we focus in on this, like... Potion bottle, right? It's kinda like yeah. this glass sphere with a top and inside is this pinkish I don't know what, liquid or something swirling around in there. Yeah, like a
2: salt
1: <laughs> Yeah, liquid thing.
3: They hid Koshki's soul inside an egg, inside a duck, inside a rabbit, inside a goat. And
1: Russians like to put things inside of other things yeah. a lot. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and we've read that was also referenced in <laughs> Darkness Calls. I like the panels too as they go on all the different animals.
1: Yeah. I like when he's going to the um that that gnarly witch tree.
3: Yeah. yeah. That's a thing
1: that when you see a gnarled up tree like this in the middle of the field, it's like, it's called a witch tree.
3: And Koshki took the goat to a certain island just beyond the edge of the world. And hid it there in a hollow tree where it would never be found. Then he rode back into the world to settle old scores.
2: But of course we know it was found because Baba Yaga found it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. she did. Yeah, she did later. So he rode back with vengeance. First the two men who had done his murder. And we see those two trollish guys. Then the wife's lover who had paid for them to do it. And lastly his wife. And we see Koshki the Deathless approaching with the sword. My lord, husband. Mercy, she says, on her knees. But Kashki, with no soul in his body, no longer knew the meaning of the word. Walk. The red letters on black. Dang. Just like at the end of part one. I really like that. The end. Yeah. What did you guys think of this story? Yeah, it was good to come back to this it's character. It's a great story, right? yeah. yeah. It's yeah. A fantastic story. Oh,
4: yeah.
3: It's like a nice I, I really, look.
4: really like the symmetry. And, oh, yeah. um, That both parts end with walk. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It was nice to kind of get this kind of little backstory on uh, Koshki. I was wondering what his story was before, how yeah. he became deathless. And now I know. It's, He's a good character. It's yeah. a cool
1: little fairy tale world that they've made. The yeah. dialogue is a little bit different. I feel like it's on purpose. It's yeah. a little bit different on purpose. I feel oh, like yeah, it definitely different. is. Yeah, because it's this scribe guy. It's is telling us the story. He's writing it down in this, in this book, and it's for us to read as though we were reading like a Grimm's fairy tale or yeah. something. And I really. Love the art. I love the the writing. I mean, I'm just saying a lot of broad stuff, but I mean, it's really I, I would I went back and reread this the second I finished reading it. I read this over again just because I loved reading it yeah, so much. It was yeah. really, yeah, I like this a lot.
3: And we have another good one next, Bobby Aga's feast. This was published in March of 2009 as a backup story to Hellboy: The Wild Hunt Number Four.
1: Can we do a little? This is a little super graphic cannibalism going on. It's kind of
3: intense. It's a little intense. (laughs) This is a little intense. Just (laughs) in case, you
1: know, you never know what people are set off by, and that's when I saw that I was kind of like, ugh, a little bit jarring. It was like, like, oh god, it's a little gross. So, anyway.
3: And this was also included in the Hellboy Weird Tales hardcover collection from 2014. Story by Mignola, art by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And so we see the old guy again that was writing at his desk in the first story. And he continues writing, Once there was a man who lived in a house near the woods with a bird and a cat. Each night the bird and cat would go to chop wood and always they warned the man that the witch Baba Yaga might come to count his spoons. Why should she do this? Who am I to say? She is a witch and a monster. Her ways are not for men to understand, but the man was told that should she come, he should hide himself and make no sound at all. And one night she did come. So we see the Baba Yaga in her mortar and she's there and she's like counting the spoons. Here's a spoon for the bird. Here's for a cat. And here's for a... And the man's back there and he like screams, you know, even though they told him to be quiet. We cut to the bird and the cat chopping wood because I was wondering like, how does this work? How do they chop wood? And here we kind of see, so I suppose like the cat puts it there and then the bird swings the axe. Bold <laughs> of you to assume the Something cat like is that. doing
1: anything. <laughs> I feel like the bird's probably I love that all of panel.
3: That. I just love that they <laughs> these two are chopping wood. It's so Super great. Super cute. Was, it's the
1: Baba Yaga. Yeah. I love that introduction there. I was Sorry, seeing, I'll
2: be uh, these are some uh, really good pets to have, a cat and a bird you can there chop wood there you for go. you <laughs> you about Baba Yaga oh. coming. My dog's need to step up.
4: Uh-uh. <laughs> I totally don't think that's the way it is at all. I think it's the other way around. The cat and the bird are the owners, and the human is the pet. Oh, okay. Oh,
3: okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting, huh? Yeah, because they're kind of like taking care of the about they, him. They're taking care of the man. You're absolutely right. And so, because mm. they come back and they scare the Baba Yaga away. But then the next night, the same thing happened. And again, the bird and the cat were. Only just in time to save the man. I mean, that's you're totally right, Mark. They're like there protecting him or something. It's almost, yeah, a reversal on that owner-pet situation. You know what I mean? But the third night, ah, we see the man getting pulled by the Baba Yaga. The bird and cat had gone further into the woods and did not hear the man's cry until it was too late. That's a sad sight, the bird says, as the babiaga flies away, holding the man.
2: They gotta go down to the shelter and pick themselves up another dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man.
3: That's good.
2: Maybe they'll get one that can be quiet when the babiaga <laughs> is uh, That's pretty good. Pretty good, Aubrey. Yeah,
0: they're
1: just, like, sad. It's sad for him.
3: Oh, I know, I know. That's but, great. Yeah. And the man was taken back to the chicken leg house. I love the Guy Davis version of that. It's so cool. Yeah. And the skulls on the fence post still have all the lights in their eyes. Because she still is all powerful at this time.
1: Love to see a chicken leg house.
3: Yeah. I mean, doesn't she still have her two eyes as well? Right, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And we see the Baba Yaga and her daughter. The Baba Yaga says to her, I'm off now to Bald Mountain, but we'll be back at dawn. See, you have this man cooked for my breakfast.
2: The first thing I thought of was a Fantasia night on Bald Mountain. Yeah,
3: <laughs> there are various bald mountains, but interestingly, there's one in Alaska on Hekata Island.
2: Oh, oh, damn Hekata
3: it. Island.
2: Oh, I get it now.
3: Yeah, that's that's a real thing in Alaska, and it's not too far from Russia, where Bobby Aga would be, yeah. right? So she, so she could fly over there. So maybe it's referencing this bald mountain that's in alaska and yeah it also reminded me of night on bald mountain or night on bear mountain a series of musical compositions by mazorski mazorski composed a musical picture on the theme of witch's sabbath occurring on saint john eve which he completed on that very night june 23rd 1867 It is through Rimsky-Korsakov's version that Night on Bald Mountain achieved lasting fame, though premiering in St. Petersburg in 1886, the work became a concert favorite. Half a century later, the work obtained perhaps its greatest exposure through the Walt Disney animated film Fantasia in 1940, which depicts this giant devil figure on the mountaintop while that part plays. It's really awesome, yeah. And so we see here that Baba Yaga went to Bald Mountain for a witch's sabbath. They get all naked and dance with skellingtons, <laughs> celebrating about all the evil they've done and will do. Heck yeah. I like that panel. That's yeah, a good panel. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's a good old We time. can see the Baba Yaga right here Who's in this the front. Guy? Yeah. Who's this
1: guy? What's this guy doing?
3: I don't know. It's, it's like yeah. Wolfman wolf just floating around. <laughs> yeah. He's having a great
1: time. He's good,
3: He's yeah. celebrating
2: all the evil he did and all yeah. the evil he's going to do. <laughs> he's just like, woo, woo-hoo, evil.
3: Over in the chicken leg house, Baba Yaga's daughter orders the man into the pot. It sits on this large table, ready to be pushed over into the fire. I won't fit in, he says. I'm too big. So the daughter gets in the pot. Stupid. You see? You're no bigger than me. Ha! The man pushes the pot into the oven. Clang. It's got those red letters on black, just kind of like yeah. we saw yeah. in that yeah. same yeah. Big Hansel scene, right? and Gretel energy here. Yeah, it's exactly like that.
1: I love this little uh, rooster panel. He's just got a little music note. singing. Yeah,
3: we see this black rooster crowing the next morning and we see the baba yaga hungry from all the party in the night before she flies over to the chicken leg house ah she finds the dead body sitting on the platter smoldering and surrounded by vegetables it's been fully cooked at this point
1: horrible horrible
3: so the witch sat down to her breakfast and never once looked up till every bone was non-clean uh. and finally death arrived and so we see that russian version of death baba yaga you have eaten your own child and so we just see her look up and she's got like the grizzle coming out of her mouth that's really
0: (laughs) y'all
3: and we see the man running off he hears the baba yaga screaming out the man fled to the great monastery at Polotsk, and i think still lives there and then so that's the guy right is that the guy that's uh writing all these stories down
2: i thought yeah uh, i thought it was Yeah. yeah But of course, it could just be yeah, like it's... him writing about somebody else. And all that, <laughs> but I
4: mean, uh, no, I don't think so. Because I think this is him writing about it. So he's he. Uh, it's possible that you know he's heard from another monk that he lives in another monastery. Don't think it's him just because he says I think lives there still. You know, like that's him writing about. Oh, okay, no. okay,
3: yeah. I guess that would that's a weird little thing to put at the end, yeah. But I did want to mention this. Polask is a historical city in Belarus and there is a monastery there, but it's a women's monastery. Spasso Euphronocene Monastery? I don't know how to say this. It's one of the oldest and largest centers in Belarus.
4: So those two stories, I, I often recommend reading them, like on the Manila uh, University reading order, right after Darkness Calls, because you've got Koshki that's introduced in that story, you've got the Witch's Sabbath, you've got Baba Yaga, all those things, you know, they're just kind oh, of yeah. like, they're like a little meditation on the end of that story, which yeah, I like. Yeah. And, um, the other thing is, like these stories were uncollected for a really long time, and I'm not entirely sure of the details. But as I understand it, Mignola had this idea that he wanted to explore a lot of Russian stories. Just and they would always like have this monk at the beginning writing about them, and they could be maybe a mini series or a one shot or a short story backup like this, and gradually it would fill up a trade. And as I understand it, that idea as he you know, thought about it over time, gradually mutilated and fell apart and didn't really work because it transformed into something that would later become Koshke the Deathless. Sorry, Koshke the Deathless. Right, right. Interesting. Okay. Nice. So this is kind of like a protoform version of what that would ultimately become.
0: That's super cool.
3: Oh, nice. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to get to that. That is one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> uh, such a great story. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it eventually. The next story that we're going to talk about is The Exorcist of Vorsk. This is a short story originally published in November 2015 in Dark Horse Presents number 16. This story is set shortly after the events of Hellboy in Hell, The Hounds of Pluto. And, um, Sorry, can
1: we get full title on this?
3: oh yeah so the
1: exorcist of Worsk, a puppet story told in hell by todd and mike mignola yeah that's super good i'm very excited
3: who is todd mignola mark is that his brother yes oh okay cool
4: all right His uh, other brother scott also wrote a sequel to pinocchio
3: right right what? yeah and i think that mignola did like the covers for it right or something Yes. Yeah. What's interesting about this story is I never read this story when I was reading Hellboy in Hell. So I had never read it oh, really? until until I got the library edition. When the library edition came out, and I've you know read through that, and then I was like, holy shit, what's this extra little story at the end? And that's when I found out about that it had come out in this Dark Horse Presents issue. Since then, I've gone back and gotten that issue just because the cover is so awesome for it. Yeah. But I had missed out on this story, so this was great when I got the library edition. I was like, oh my God, there's a whole little extra story That's to neat. read. So yeah, I really yeah. enjoy this one.
4: It's <laughs> kind of interesting too, because it takes place between eight and nine, but whenever they collected it, they'd always put it, separate from them because mignola felt like it interrupted the flow like the way eight ends it's rather strange to put this in there and then go to nine right
3: right um
4: but like i feel like with uh, this podcast we kind of you know a week ago you we did hellboy in hell um number eight so you've had that meditation time and you can kind of jump into this without it being so jarring right. so yeah i thought yeah, this yeah. is a fun place to put it
3: yeah i really enjoy that and it kind of i feel like those first two stories that we read the guy davis ones are kind of like good backup stories but like this is getting us back into the reading order we're gonna yeah. have this one and then we're gonna have the Abe sapien one and it's kind of pulling us back. i really well, like and putting that it yeah.
1: in with all the other little tiny stories is good it's too. perfect I think it yeah. Fits. Mm-hmm. yeah it fits really well
3: and like danielle said it's great to get some mignola art uh, on here colors by dave stewart and letters by clem robbins And so we open, it says, there was once a man who threw his wife down a well.
1: Jeez, can Uh, you not?
3: (laughs) It's true, a skull says, and we reveal the skull is a hanged man in a tree that Hellboy's looking at. I didn't want to do it, but she was always at me, day and night, night and day. And we see the man and the wife alive, but they're puppets.
1: I mean, she's being Mm. a dick, but like... I don't know if you have to throw her down. Well, just like, well, just I get mean, a divorce, you guys. Well,
2: he's telling the story, so a puppet divorce. <laughs> so how? um
1: Puppet divorce court. Sorry. How reliable
4: a narrator? <laughs> yeah, is yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely for sure. Well, I mean, he
4: made it. also in a writer that's very happy to make excuses for himself. Yeah. One hundred thousand <laughs> yeah.
1: percent, absolutely. I mean,
2: because it seems like she may be complaining, but it seems like she's like, you know, hey, you know.
1: He seems like a loser. That's what I'm saying. Is, it's a puppet, like, so, so it's kind of almost making fun of the fact that he's telling the story, is that yeah. it's being told with puppets. <laughs> it's good. Oh,
4: yeah. He's spinning a story. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes.
3: And we see her berating him. A curse on me that I married such a lazy fool. I should have married Oleg the butcher when he asked. His wife always has food on the table. Or Maxim the tailor. You know, he wanted me. And every year his wife has a new coat. And what do I have? nothing i have you and so we see him like please no more
1: that is really if that actually went down like that that's super abusive and that cool but so he's like, I had no choice. I threw her down the well. What else could I do? Jeez.
3: And so it says, like, splosh, and we just see the panel of the well. I am heartily sorry for it, but I had no choice.
0: Okay, well,
1: you know.
4: Well, there's a life I ever heard one. Oh. <laughs>
1: y'all, need to just, y'all need to just take a time out.
3: I like how it cuts periodically back to him as the skeleton. As yeah. a skeleton yeah. reading it, right? Mm. Right. Sometime after that, I was startled by a demon. And so we see this demon pop out, Yegor Ivanovich, he says. And he's, he's like, ah, and the, and the demon's a, pu- a puppet too, yeah, right? Yeah, cute. A hundred years my brothers and I have lived in the well. Now we have your wife, and she never stops complaining. Oh, <laughs> Take her back. And he's like, I can't do that. And he's like, you have to. Let's be reasonable. She wants all these things. Food, nice house, new clothes. Jeez. Too much, Yegor says. But if you were a rich man, you could give her these things, the devil puppet says. I could, but... Then you should be rich," the uh. devil puppet says, and when he says rich, it's like an all red panel, and his, his like eyes, eyes go, go black. all black. Yeah, <laughs> but how? Yegor says, "You're in luck. I have an idea." The puppet says, "Sometimes I haunt the houses of very wealthy people. You come as a wise man, chase me away, and these people will be so happy they'll give you a reward." But I am not a wise man," <laughs> Yegor says. Sadly, Sadly that, that is, is true.
4: <laughs> <laughs> So I just want to point out about that panel where he says Rich. What I love, it's just a cool detail, is that in that moment, he's no longer a puppet.
1: Yeah! You can oh, see he's got little hairs on his man. chin and the
4: nostrils and everything. He's real in that moment. That, at least, that part of the story is true. It's creepy as hell. Oh, I and like And super good. Yeah.
1: Really good storytelling. Thank you for pointing that out, for sure.
4: But it's a
3: simple matter enough to make you pass for one. You only need to look the part, and so poof the devil puppet creates like these fancy clothes on him and you have to have this poof and we he creates this scroll
1: so wait i don't understand why you couldn't give this lady like food and clothes and shit he's like here's some new clothes my guy but like oh this lady wants some clothes (laughs) like just get i don't don't know seems like
4: mm. oh uh, like uh we'll get to the ending and we'll discuss what i think is really happening here but right
1: yeah no, but it's a good. I like a. It's a good little plan. I like the whole thing. Like okay, I'm gonna pretend to be a scary guy. Yeah. You, know, you come <laughs> pretend to be a super smart guy, and then you chase me away, and we're gonna. You know. I think that's that's super cute. I like that.
3: And the little scroll that he gives him, he calls it the Zagavore. The Zagovori in Eastern Slavic mythology are a form of verbal folk magic. Users of Zagavori could enchant objects or people with words. And the four words that he uses are a reference to an incantation used by King Solomon to banish a demon. Cool. It has also been used in various folk tales and books of magic spells. And so it says, Lafaham, Solomon, Ayuel Ayazanai. Nice. Something like that, right? Dig it. They will pay a fortune to be rid of me, but remember, three times. And when he says three times, we cut back to Yegor dead hanging. I really love that pacing there. The first... And so we see Yegor come up, and he's like, fear not. And they're like, oh, he's very brave, but certainly he is doomed. And so we see the Uh devil, he's like this (laughs) green tiger with like a crown over, and he's like, dreadful apparition, be gone. Lafaham, Solomon, Ayuel, Isaiah, And when he says the last one, it's the dead Yegor again. Poof, we see the demon disappear. We are saved, and they shower Yegor with all these gold coins. (laughs) The second... And it's like this red
1: yeah. devil
3: vulture. I really I love like that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: super good.
3: <laughs> and I love how, like, the first one is fairly laid out, the whole thing, but the second and third ones, it just gives you this quick and dirty. You know what's every- going on, you yeah. know what's happening. The pacing yeah. is really good. And then you- the background is just all the coins, all the money that he's making. And I, I just really love mm-hmm. that pacing. It's fantastic. like a great, yeah. like, just a montage almost. Yeah, I it guess. is. A montage. Yeah, that's exactly it what is. I was thinking. Yeah.
4: It's kind of. Like, you know, like, you, you always know those, like, stories from when you're a little kid where things happen three times. And, like, by the time they do the second and third ones, they're just abbreviating. Yeah. Right, you know, like, yeah. it, he really feels like he's taken that structure and just turned it into a layout. Like, somehow it just feels like reading those paragraphs of text and as panels. Page, yeah.
1: yeah. And they're beautiful. I mean, these pa- these panels are beautiful. Mm.
4: I know, I I always crack up with that panel at the bottom where it's just, like, he's kind of standing there a little stunned with, like, queens riding around. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's really good, and I just wanted to point out this little detail where in the first, there's, like, the house with the the window color. Yeah, the window color, and then in the second and the third, you can also see that same theme, and it's, like, green, red, and blue. They're so Which is also very nice. And on the third one... The demon looks like this snake that has little bat wings. <laughs> the vampire of Prague, when he was like licking out of the wine thing, yeah. remember, he looked like that. He looked like a little snake with bat wings. So we have seen the vampire of Prague turn into that kind of monster too or demon form.
2: So the window window colors are green, red, and blue. So RGB. Era. Yeah. It yeah, makes yeah. me wonder, is that um, intentional or just a coincidence? Right,
3: I bet right.
1: you that's a color thing. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't resist.
3: The demon told the truth. I was rewarded, Yegor says. I became a rich man. But... And so we see them talking about another haunting that's taking place in the palace. I know I promised three times only, but... He whispers to himself. And so we cut over to the palace. Parts of the structure, particularly the color, are similar to Catherine Palace, south of St. Petersburg in Russia.
1: This creeped me out so bad
3: Yeah, giant
1: skeletons just saying clack, 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 clack. (laughs) For some reason that's that
3: disturbed me. Yeah, it's really odd. But I also like like right there it says and so.
1: Yeah. Clack oh, clack yeah. clack clack clack, and That's we see. That's disturbing yeah, yeah. in a good like in a good way. I like it. It's good.
3: So we see Yegor approach, and he's like, "Dreadful apparition, be gone! I command thee by these words." And so he says the words, and then the giant sculpting. Yegor Ivanovich,
1: you. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh,
3: didn't we have an agreement three times only?" Poof! He turns back into the puppet <laughs> devil. Yes, yes, I know, but the palace. I thought a fourth time. What harm could it do and so they see him talking with this demon puppet and they're like he's a fake it was a servant boy from the kitchen he saw me talking to the demon ran to the prince and that was the end for me and we see the king going guilty of fraud and consorting with demons and so i was hanged and then so we get this puppet red hanged. panel of yegor the puppet being hanged so we cut back over and to the dead yegor that hellboy was talking to and this little bird flies yeah. up and starts talking he says poor yegor ivanovich i was justly killed for my foolish behavior yegor says if only i had been content you should know your wife is happy the little bird says she married the demon and now they live in a palace underground Aww, yeah. and she wears a coat made of jewels mined from the center of the earth groan <laughs> yegor says <laughs> what are you the ad- insult to injury bird hellboy asks. Ugh i am the voice of truth the bird says And this is
1: your you have a tattoo of this bird
3: yeah this panel right here where he says i'm the voice of truth that's actually i got that bird tattooed at anomaly tattoos in paris france i am the voice of truth the bird says but for his greed he might have been a man he might have used his wealth to do good might have been a pillar of his community with friends and family then an unhappy corpse hung from a tree in hell damn Learn from his example, and see that you do better for yourself, the bird says, as it flies away.
1: Voice of truth, indeed.
3: The end. I guess the truth talks shit. No, that
1: bird rules. It's a a great tattoo as well. It looks awesome.
3: Hey, don't get me wrong. I love the bird. I just... It's so interesting that it's just Hellboy just observing this puppet tell this story, and that's like pretty much it. Well, your... he's a
1: hanged corpse, but yeah. he's telling <laughs> he's telling a puppet story, I guess.
3: Yeah, and the, and you know the whole puppet element, I just really enjoyed. That's no, good. It was so great to come across this story after having thought that I was done with all the Hellboy and Hell Mignola art.
1: It's really beautiful looking at. Um, I'm actually reading it from this.
3: Oh, you're looking at the library.
1: I'm looking at the library and so it's uh, it's so beautiful, these big oversized pages and it's nice.
4: So uh, I have a theory that uh, when the guy's wife was thrown down the well, uh, she met the demon and it wasn't you know, she was nagging and he was like oh god, I need to get rid of her. It was like he liked her straight away. He was yeah, like, yeah. Yes. Okay. And she's like, you know, I want this. I want this. I want this. And he's like, yeah, I want that too. That's going to be awesome. I totally need to move up in the world. <laughs> yeah. But in order to do, you know, like move up in hell, you got to get souls. And he's like, hey, you know, your dummy of a husband, I'm going to play him.
3: And that was it. Brilliant. Love it. I love that idea. Yeah, because you're right. Brilliant. She married the demon.
1: Super good.
3: That's great. Yeah, I totally think the two of them just played him.
1: That's awesome.
4: <laughs> that makes it even better, That's yeah. That's
1: fantastic. He tried to throw her away, but the dude was like, nah, we're going out on the town, baby. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so before we read this story, recently on Ave Sapien Dark and Terrible... Ape Sapien has been on his own looking for answers into the past since he evolved. He rescued a woman named Grace and they eventually hooked up with a crew including Diana, a worshipper of Santa Muerte who had some sort of Santa Muerte powers where she could like hit people with a giant skull in the sky or something. They encountered a man named Arbogast who was working with a demon-familiar Bifrons. At the end of that battle, Abe killed Arbogast, who had started to charm Grace, and Diana was injured defeating Bifrons. Afterwards, Grace yelled at Abe, telling him that he wanted all this and brought on all their troubles. She told him that there was something dark in him, and she couldn't be around him. Abe then left on his own and had more adventures, eventually discovering cassette tapes in Professor Broom's old apartment, revealing that Broom knew of Langdon Call, the person that Abe was before he transformed. Langdon had a connection to Cavendish, and this is what actually gave Broom the idea to go on the expedition that eventually led to the discovery and awakening of Rasputin and Saduham. Abe also learned from the tapes Something that he had forgotten. He had seen a jellyfish creature, Num Yabisk, or whatever it's called, within the church that worshipped the sea in St. Sebastian. That was a memory from Abe Sapien, the Drowning. At the same time, Gustav Strobel's been cruising after Abe ever since he found out that hell has fallen and Satan is dead. He almost trapped Abe for a moment and started to transform him, but Abe escaped. Agent Vaughn, Abe's friend, who was being used by Strobel, died trying to help Abe. Strobel learned about Oanez and St. Sebastian from the leftover cassette tapes, and he went there. And he encountered the jellyfish creature, and the last time we saw him, he was transforming.
1: I liked your previously on voice, though, by the way. It was very those very tv yeah shows.
3: i thought we needed a little recap to get us back into the mindset of this series abe sapien the garden 3 is a one shot published in july 2016 written by mignola and scott alley art by max fumara colors by dave stewart and letters by clem robbins and i want to talk about this cover a little bit before we get started so we just read that Hellboy in hell issue last week and so just getting to this what were you thinking when you saw this cover well you had Uh probably already seen it but now it had new context right
2: well um i probably did see it you know i didn't think it clicked or anything so like seeing it like when i looked at it i was like oh shit this is awesome yeah
3: and it's a great place to put it too since we just read that story last week
4: yeah i wanted to have those two close together this is one of those rare cases where i've broke the timeline a bit like technically this story happens a little later but i i wanted to to get to it now just because of that connection also i didn't want to break up the next batch of bprd hell on earth stuff you're getting to there's three trades worth of material that just work really great end to so. end yes yes
3: if we remember there was the garden one and the garden two and the garden one was in these three panel pages and so we yeah. get that same layout here by max fumara it's really beautiful. In the last one, there was, like, this crooked view of this old dilapidated house, and here we get, like, this crooked view, but it's all beautiful. You know, everything's all green, there's beautiful water, and just all the colors are very vibrant.
2: Yeah, when I I saw this first page, I was just like, whoa, these haven't been this vibrant in a while. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's really nice. This beginning part is a letter being written from Grace to Abe, and she says, Dear Abe, I can't believe how long it's been. I think about you all the time. We all do. We're in Minnesota, not far from a town called Stockholm. Don't laugh. I can't believe the winter's here. Megan loves it. Jim likes it cold. And so these are other characters that Abe was with. Jim didn't have the big beard. And Megan was like a little girl. So definitely some time has passed between yeah. now and then.
4: Yeah, she's talking about winters, plural.
3: Right, right, yeah. Yeah. So she's been there for a while, and we see her. Like, they have a garden, they have their own garden, and she's pulling, like, what are these? Uh... I'll say squash. Or oh, squash. squash. Yeah, let's say uh, it looks like Jim's
2: wearing, like, two different types of shoes.
3: Oh, well, right. you do what you gotta do. They're trying to, yeah, that's a good little detail, though. They yeah. kept to, like, scrap together clothes. Maybe those were the only ones he could find in his size. We parted ways with Diana, she writes. I don't know that she'll ever be the same. Diego got over his injury, though. And last we heard, he and Carmelita were still with Diana in Kentucky. I owe her like I owe you, Abe. I hope to God she recovers. And so if we remember in that Arbogast story, Diego was shot in the stomach or something like that. So I guess, you know, he lived from that. But Diana is still injured after having to go toe-to-toe with Bifranz, the demon. I feel awful about the last thing I said to you, Grace writes... I barely remember saying it, but Megan never lets me forget. If she could have gone with you that day, she would have, but she was terrified. And so was I, Abe, but not of you. I see that now. You saved me. There's no doubt about that. But we had to part ways, right? After all that's happened, I can't believe my life is as good as it is now. And I thank you for every day I have. What if you hadn't walked into that house in New Mexico? And so we see Diana there, and she looks like all worn like she looks like she's aged a lot you know in those years i wonder if that battle or expending all that energy like it all caught up with her or something
2: uh probably did
3: you know we see just this pleasant living room scene of them like joking around around the table i love you abe i am so grateful to you and i'm sorry we couldn't say a proper goodbye i hope we meet again someday it feels good to look forward to the future it feels good to face every day with more hope than fear more than anything else I hope it's like that for you, Grace. And so we see her put the letter in a plastic bottle and put it in the water and it goes sailing off.
4: See, I like that because he's never going to get that letter. So, you know, she's writing this for herself to give herself closure. Yeah. Right. I kind of like there's a frame in there where she's writing. You can see Jim looking over his shoulder at her. You can tell, you know, he's concerned, but he knows this is something she has to do. She's getting rid of some baggage she's been carrying around with her for quite some time.
3: Yeah. And so we cut over to Abe. It says elsewhere. And we just get these beautiful panels. So it's kind of like this Abe Sapien series. It really kind of slows you down a little bit. You know, reading these little short stories and then getting mm-hmm. this issue. I was like, oh, the I forgot a little bit about the pacing of this. You know, it just has these like mm-hmm. kind of these pages that are just silent pages, and you really just it gives you a moment to just linger on the art. I really love this of Abe eating the turnip. Right, he pulls a turnip out of the ground or a beet or something like that.
2: No, I think it's a turnip because uh, earlier today I was looking on Facebook and uh, Jerry Turnbull had posted like a different things of uh, turnips. Yeah, it looks like turnips. Oh, yeah. And he's all like, "Uh, you know, John, that's something for you to check out. (laughs) And then then I read this story and I'm like, it's those fucking turnips. Yeah, so. (laughs) Oh, not those fucking turnips. It's those turnips.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And so turnips are referenced a lot in The Amazing Screw-On-Head. Yeah, yeah. and so we have seen the imagery of turnips show up a lot. Do you have anything to say about the turnips, Mark? No. I think it is interesting, though, and we do see abe eating one here so i like how they incorporate that but these panels are just amazing we see abe drinking water from a lake or something and then we also see him just laying in the grass
2: and then the rabbits are watching him
3: yeah and he just seems so at peace he's just like fully relaxing and just like taking it easy it kind of reminds me Mm -hmm. of hellboy like when we see him relaxing he's just sitting there like like left to his own devices that's what he would do He's just laying back and enjoying himself, you know. But he's also thinking, and we've seen that a lot in this series, too. He's, like, always in his head. And so he's remembering that scene from the end of Dark and Terrible Deep where he was revealed that crazy origin where we saw that he was actually one of these... He was Shanshan's friend, yeah. We have all known fear, Shanshan says, but do not run from it.
4: Do not run. Um, I just want to point out the colors. Yeah. Because I can't help it. But, um... So if you look back at, like, Abe Sapien 1, very first issue of uh, this Dark and Terrible arc, and you look, there's, like, stuff where uh, Abe's running through the forest as he's leaving the BPRD, and the colours in that, like, the greens are so incredibly muted. And, like, you look at this stuff here, like, the Dark and Terrible um, series is basically a journey into green. And it's just fantastic to see, basically, two scenes, both set in the forest, and how different Dave Stewart colours them.
3: Yeah... Wow, yeah, I really need to go back and look at those first issues.
4: You, When you lay out the whole series as thumbnails and you can see the color journey, like, it's it's amazing. Oh, oh I wow. can't
3: wait. I can't wait. We're so close, too. Very close. I, I do love this bottom panel where we just see Abe's point of view. We see what he's looking up at. And it's just, um, I just mm. really love that panel. I really love the pacing of these whole two pages here. Yeah. We cut over a sharp contrast to St. Sebastian. And we get this amazing double splash page by Fumara. We see this black fungus or whatever it is has totally it's like covered a slimy, Saint Sebastian. Goopy,
1: yeah, yeah. monster.
3: And we just really get a lot of pages lingering over how everything has just been covered in this. And so we've seen Saint Sebastian before. Um, But this time, it is totally just overtaken. And we also see that red pool that we saw Strobel transforming in. But he's not laying in there anymore. And then we get this one panel of a clawed monster hand in red water. Slosh.
2: Wouldn't that actually be blood?
3: Yeah, I guess. Is it blood? Yeah. That's what I thought it was. We see this woman, and so she's like, she must be the last person alive in this town. We previously saw that people had been overtaken by the fungus... And she's being taken over by it, too. It's, like, crawling up her leg and, like, trying to pull her down and all this stuff. And then she sees a bunch of people overtaken by it as well.
4: Ugh, this is so uncomfortable to look at.
3: It really is. It pulls at her leg and she has to, like, pull her foot out of her shoe to escape it. And then she trips and she looks up. And we see, like, this greenish arm peeking through the panel. And she screams out. No, we cut away to, and we have a pan out to St. Sebastian, just totally ruined and overtaken by the black fungus. Yeah, it's a gruesome sight. At least those few panels are just Mm -hmm. gruesome. It's horrific, yeah. And we cut back to Abe, and as he's just chilling in the grass, and he's thinking about all these things, he's thinking about his origin, and he sees people watching him. Wait, don't be afraid, he calls as they run off. And Abe starts to run after them. I just want to talk to you. Where am I, Abe says to himself. And he's kind of like looking around. And then we see one of those golden apples, the golden oranges or whatever, right, that we've been talking about.
2: Vimar definitely draws that as an apple.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah.
4: I like to think it's no earthly fruit.
3: Right, yeah. right. And so we reveal, as we turn the page, this giant panel of the world tree, the new world tree, just like we saw... In the previous Hellboy story. In that story. Alice told Hellboy. The old tree is dying. Creatures in hell gnawed its roots. And so we see the black roots here. It kind of cuts over to that. And Abe's just kind of like looking at everything. And he hears a voice call his name. Abe Sapien. And we reveal Alice. And she's wearing the Queen Mab crown. Like we saw in Hellboy in Hell. And she notices that Abe has changed. You've become... What you were meant to be, she says. She tells him about the tree like she told Hellboy. The roots of this old tree reach down to Hell, but this one has roots here in the last refuge of the fairies. So I feel like that's a little bit of new information that oh, we're yeah. going get. We're kind of getting bits and pieces as we encounter her.
2: And it's uh, interesting because like, the old tree's roots were in Hell and this one is in the um, remainder of the fairyland.
3: Yeah, yeah. And we saw the fairies talking about how they have to go down into the dark or even like Queen Mab when she left with Grugak and she was like, oh, well now we go where all things must go in the end or something yeah. like that. So I guess it's somewhere here or somewhere in this space. We saw other people watching Abe. So are they part of the fairies or, you know, I just wonder what all
4: that means. I think the uh, fairy realm was tied to the old world tree. So that. Um, those things withered and vanished as as that tree is withering and vanishing. Ah, okay. This is kind of you know you're seeing the formation of what will become I suppose a new kind of fairy folk.
3: Hmm. Oh, okay. I like that. Oh,
2: maybe they were the people of England when England.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is you know like um, when Alice was in the graveyard with Kate. Like, if Kate had stayed, she would have been one of these people.
3: Right. Okay. Alice tells Abe that she's not a fairy, but she met them when she was a baby. And so here she's referencing Hellboy the Corpse. Meg, Dagda, and all the Thuadadanan left our world when they saw what was coming. Now they'll dwell there for a time. The land provides what we need and keeps the horrors out. It's like Eden, Abe says. Eden was the beginning don't mistake this for that alice responds this is just one last piece of the old world really nice art here by fumara too yeah Yeah, it's really great i love how he draws alice as well Hmm. who are you abe asks she tells him she was chosen by mab to carry this sacred trace of our world into the future protected cool abe says this is all he really wanted he can be at peace and he's like He looks happy in that panel. Like he's got his arms stretched out and everything. And like we haven't seen Abe happy like ever, especially since he's involved. (laughs) You know, there have been very few moments. You know, maybe he had some fun moments where he was like drinking beers and hanging out with those people in those small towns. But um, he's just like this whole scene. He's like laying in the grass, chilling out, all this kind of stuff. And here he's just like he seems to just be embracing all this. Oh, Abe, Alice says, I should have known. Hellboy wanted to stay, too. Abe's surprised that Alice knows Hellboy. She says, that's how I knew you. He spoke of you with so much love, Abe. I love thinking about Hellboy telling Alice about Abe. Maybe they're in that little car from the Wild Hunt, that little blue car, and Hellboy's like, and then this monkey shot Abe.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that he would have been telling her about the time he got drunk at Christmas oh yeah
3: (laughs) that's a good one yeah she tells abe how hellboy died and gave birth to the tree how long ago he asks never mind i'm asking the wrong questions aren't i
2: oh that's one thing i love about abe abe is like smart enough to figure wait 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 this question's unimportant (laughs) right right
3: yeah time is strange here alice says and it passes quickly when you've run this hard and this far But Hellboy made the new world possible. You have an equally important role. No, Abe says. You have to go, Abe. I'm so sorry. What's your name, Abe asks. Alice, she says. Alice, people think I'll destroy the world. You know it's not that, Alice says. Don't send me back, Abe says. You won't destroy anything. It's the opposite, Alice says. You need to face the new world. You do have a destiny there. And you can't hide from it here. Not here of all places not you. And then we get this beautiful panel of just the water and all the birds flying over it. I guess those are seagulls or something. It's a
1: good assumption. Yeah.
3: But she's kind of telling him the same thing that Shanshan told him, you know, do not run from it. Do not be afraid. You know, I think that that's what she's telling him here too. You can't hide from it.
4: Yeah. If he doesn't become what he's meant to become, someone else will take his place.
3: Oh yeah. And that's an appropriate cut to the elsewhere. And we go down into the water. I love what Dave Stewart did with this top yeah, panel yeah. as we're like going into the deep water. And we go down to Davy Jones' locker where we last saw the bog Rouge when she had all her souls in those jars. So we see that in this panel. Yes. So when you see this panel, you're like going, oh shit, this I is from The Third Wish. I remember yeah. these characters.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was such a touching
3: yeah gripping it was one of my favorites i still
1: yeah i'm very i was very moved by that story so this is i immediately was like ah it's these characters
3: and we see the new bog rouge this was the mermaid that helped hellboy in that story and the ghost of her dad who at the end of the third wish he told her he would keep her company till the end of time they talk and they mention the ogre jihad coming to earth what the fuck yeah, I'm assuming
2: that was the Black Flame. Because he said, the well, last time we saw him, he said, I am the Dude Jihad.
3: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: They're, talk- they're talking about some pretty exciting stuff here. It's good.
3: And they, <laughs> they talk about Hellboy being dead. Then my time cannot be long, the Bogrush says. I thought this was kind of interesting. Like, she never wanted to be the Bogrush, And so she's ready to be done with it. She's like, oh, then the end is maybe near and right. I don't have to do this anymore. What was that? We hear a voice said. The Jogger Jihad is already here. And we reveal the evil Abe Strobel version. This is what he became transformed there by the jellyfish that was in Saint Sebastian. So what'd you think about that reveal? Did you figure he was gonna look like just just like Abe did?
2: Well it's interesting that he also looks like Abe's mutated form.
3: Right, right. He he skipped an evolution or yeah. something. He like jumped a step or something like that.
2: Or maybe something with like oh. um, the Iwana Society putting Abe in that uh, tube. Right. Uh maybe that was um it kind of slowed it all down for a while or something That's like that. That's
4: so interesting. Or, I love that. Or they interrupted the process maybe.
2: Yeah, or maybe something with the, the um uh, the Audrey Ham and, and the Audrey had all coming to Earth, maybe that also kickstarted the mutation and so he just went straight to the final form.
3: Oh, I love that too. Yeah, so I
2: don't know. I mean
3: Good job, Aubrey. <laughs> so the Bog says, Swim south, child, it would be safest there, thinking that he wants to get away from it. Right. And he's like, I'm not your child. I have no desire to hide from what's to come. Are you a warrior? The ghost dad says. In a manner of speaking, yes. And that has been my goal all this time. And we get a flashback to witchcraft and demonology, where Strobel said he wanted to be the right hand of the devil. And I love this panel where the Bogrush and the ghost king, they're like, what the fuck is this yeah, guy? Yeah. What? What's yeah. his deal? What, what? Do you know what this is? <laughs> And he's like, it's not familiar to me. You are strange to us, the Bogroosh tells Strobel. Not of the sea at all, are you? I am not, Strobel responds. I am strange to myself. I cannot answer you. He tells them he came there because he sensed life, and he thought it was the one he needed to kill, Jeez. to take from him what's mine. And the Bogroosh and the Ghost King are pretty pissed off at Strobel at this point. Who are you, little thing, that you come here with so little respect? and less wit, the bogroosh asks. I was Gustav Strobel. I am Ikhjo Sapien. And he slashes the Bagroosh's head off. No, the Ghost King yells. I am honest." Strobel says, and I've no time for ghosts. I've come to take my place alongside the Ogsru Jihad at the end of the world.
1: Got intense very quickly
3: yeah and we cut yeah. and, and we just end here on the like blood i guess coming out of the bog wound yeah. as she goes down but it's like she was just saying like oh my time's near like she was ready to die so like what does that and then i also thought like if you killed the bog rush then you became the bog or something or somebody else had to become the bog maybe because there's no more souls and the, there's no more power or something or
2: well maybe it has something to do with like lineage or something Maybe oh, it's okay like a, you know
4: because strobel's not a mermaid right okay or maybe he broke the power of that place yeah
3: oh right yeah he does have all the magic so he's got all his magic stuff and he's been transformed into this thing too so that's more than what abe has because abe's not abe's not a wizard (laughs) yeah he does he's not an evil wizard so that makes it even more terrifying
4: well i mean abe technically is uh, a shaman sort of
3: right yeah so maybe he has more abilities than he even knows about or maybe Ah. he's a he could tap into that if he wanted to that's so interesting to think about i love that you brought that up I also noticed in Strobel's transformed form, he's also got a nose injury. Because remember, they cut oh, off his that's nose. that's right. yeah. And so yeah. you can see he's kind of got like a hole there in his Abe face or whatever. I just want him to die. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I want him to die as much as Matt wants to kill the Black Flame. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, and like Aubrey said, what a great cliffhanger to leave off on as we get ready to go back into BPRD Hell on Earth next week. This is so exciting. We're ramping up for some pretty heavy stuff, aren't we, Mark?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the stuff that's coming up. Oh, man, I can't wait to hear how you react to it. Have, have I ever spoken um, about the shape of things to come in light of what we've read in Dark and Terrible Deep at all? That was the one where Abe's going through the desert and he comes across a woman who, like, talks to him about the um the old man shamans and everything and, and the history with those people. Now that we... Know what Abe is, she's actually telling him the history of his people.
3: Oh, okay, it's
4: really interesting to go back to read that story and suddenly go, Oh, so this is where this fits in. He's literally learning about his own heritage here.
3: Oh, she okay. now worker. I remember. Okay, yes, yeah. yes. And so, oh, that is so interesting. I have to go back and check that out. Thank you for making that. Yeah, because she talks yeah. about the
4: um. The shamans that uh, fought the Ogdraham spirits back in the day. Right. And that would have been Abe's fellow people.
3: Yeah, or him. It would have been him, yeah. That is so cool. Potentially, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Anything else to say about Abe's api in the Garden, Mark?
4: Only that I love that they keep on returning to this, uh, well, a couple of themes. There are big things they say about what's going to happen, but that doesn't take away your choice. I like that Abe is very distinctly given the choice to stay on this island, and he, and he could totally do that, but the consequence of it would be that the things that are meant to happen will still happen, but someone else will take his place, and it's pretty clear who that is.
3: Yeah, you're right. So, like, he does make a choice, just like Kate did in that moment.
4: Hmm. Like, it's, he's put in a position where, you know, like, what what will come will always come. It's just the fallout from that will be different.
3: Right. Cause when she tells him, you know, he's he's gonna help the world to come, he says no. But then he does leave. You know what I mean? He does Yeah. Yeah, so he he didn't stay, he followed but... through with it. That's very that's very interesting how we've seen both Kate and Abe have that choice to make. And Hellboy mm-hmm. I mean, he also had a choice, but he was just told, you know, you can't stay here. He was kind of Hellboy was almost more like rejected, but Yeah. Abe and Kate they both had that kind of uh, a choice to make at that moment. I think that is so
4: interesting. We'll have to circle back around and talk about that again later. Oh, yeah. It, it comes up again and again and again. But uh, the other one, too, is uh, is just that element of legacy. Like, you know, um, this garden being uh, a place of... It's sort of like a memory of the world that was. It's not supposed to, you know, keep it alive in any way. It's more just don't forget about it. And even Alice herself, she's a memory of the Fae people before... You know, she is not the Fae, but... She's got that attachment to them. There's always like a bit of a fragment of uh, the old world carrying on into the new. It's always like, uh, what do you preserve from that world? And I feel like they're always preserving the best bits. And as long as they keep, keep doing that, the world that is to come will be a good place. Right. Yeah. Well, I like that.
3: Yeah, we've been talking about hope and redemption, even in the light of being in hell or hell on earth or whatever. And so... All those themes are just really prevalent, and like you said, they just keep coming back again and again. Really beautiful, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so that was a great episode. I'm so glad that we could have you on this week, Mark.
2: Yeah, Mark, it was great to hear
4: from you again. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah.
3: All right, and next week we'll get back into our BPRD Hell on Earth. I'm going to have to do a previously on BPRD (laughs) Hell on Earth or something for that episode as well. Oh, that'd be cool. Previously on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right,
2: everybody. This was a nice little fun romp. Share us your thoughts on Kashki, the death. How Kashi, the story we read about Kashi. Tell us what you thought. <laughs> and the Baba Yaga. And the Hellboy. And the Abe guy. Uh, what
1: did you think? You sent us a Hey Damn Guys.
2: Send us a Hey You Damn Guys at Hellboy Club at gmail.com.
1: You can find us at goofballs.com or a couple of goofballs.
2: Yes, you can. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link, the reading list, and Adam Hicks chronology all on our Facebook About section.
3: Yeah, good job there, Robert.
2: Always a special thank you to uh, Paul from Han for the music. And Mark, thank you for for being on today. And always the work with the reading order. Friendship. Thanks to John for everything. And thank you guys. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we are reading BPRD, Hell on Earth, Nowhere, Nothing, Never. I wanna test you. You tell me what you're gonna do. <laughs> and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Cup Podcast.
3: Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas.
1: I'm the insult to injury bird.
2: I'm the Mignola vesti guy. <laughs> and I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, Man, you're gonna die unless I heal you with my magic.
3: Very <laughs> oh, good.